I want to spend a bit of time today talking about the 53-man roster for the Seahawks, which has obviously been announced ahead of the opening game against the Denver Broncos. And look, you know, I am not trying to be deliberately negative about this team. I, I don't want to do that. And people who subscribe to this channel will see that we're only a few months removed from me saying I give the Seahawks an A plus for their 2022 draft class. And I firmly believe that, stand by that. I think they knocked it out of the park with what they did in the draft. And when there is something positive to speak about with this team, you better believe that I'm going to do a video about it and I'm going to celebrate it. When there are things that are not good, that need to be highlighted, then I'm going to do that as well. And that's where I am with this 53-man roster. I'm seeing people commenting in, on the, my videos and one or two people posting on silksdraftblog.com that I just do not think are living in the real world with how this roster is. You know, people telling me that the offense would be elite if they had a franchise quarterback. Well, quite aside from the fact that typically having a really good quarterback will generally make your offense really good, I, I just don't see an elite, the elite framework that people are, are going for here. And I think it's going to be a really, it, it could be a struggle. It could be a real struggle offensively. And I've got issues with the defense as well. So I just want to run through what I think with it. Um, at quarterback, it is what it is. You know, Geno Smith is Geno Smith. He's getting a good press in on Twitter, and on Seahawks Twitter. And people are, you know, looking at his PFF grade from preseason Forget all that. You know, I don't pay any attention to preseason PFF grades against backups. You know, Geno Smith struggled against New Orleans last year. He relied on the running game against Pittsburgh, and he did a good job in a game that the Seahawks handled against the worst team in the NFL last year, Jacksonville. That is what Geno Smith's going to be able to do. When the Seahawks play bad opponents and they can stay on time and they can handle games and control games, he's going to look fine. When they run the ball very, very well, he, he's going to be able to sort of ride that wave and, and just sort of go with whatever the running game is going to do. If teams take away the run and make life difficult, he is not going to be able to elevate this team. And I think when you're playing in the NFC West and you're playing teams like the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Buccaneers this year, the Seahawks are going to have a lot of games that they're not going to be able to control. And that's when he's going to be exposed. So it is what it is. Geno Smith is a th soon-to-be 32-year-old quarterback who has never done anything in the NFL, and he's still that guy. At running back, there is talent. There's no doubt that there's talent. I'm a big fan of Ken Walker, but he has a hernia, and Carroll's been really evasive in talking about this, as he is known to do about injuries. But who knows? Is he going to be here week one? Could be. Is he going to be put on IR in the next couple of weeks? Who knows? Are we not going to see him until October, November? Maybe. Who knows where it's going to go with that? It's a hernia. It's, it's not the kind of thing that just sort of magically heals with a bit of rest. Rashad Penny, great end to last season. But let's call it what it was. It, it was a flourish at the end of a contract year. Prior to that, he had three and a half years where he couldn't stay healthy. Can he do it over 17 games? Can he do it over 12 games? We're going to find out. And that's, and that's the thing with, with Rashad Penny. We still don't know exactly what he is. So we have to find out. I'm pleased that Travis Homer and DJ Dallas had a really good preseason. I don't really want those two guys leading the running attack because the running attack is going to be so important this year. I have to say, I don't have a great deal of faith in Homer and Dallas being able to carry a running game if they're thrust into that position because Penny and Walker are unavailable. At receiver, yes, of course, DK Metcalf, a very good player. I don't think he's an elite receiver yet. I think he's still got a long way to go. He needs to make more of his size. He needs to be able to win 1v1 a little better. He needs to be able to be more consistent with his hands. But obviously, fantastic physical specimen has done a great deal of, uh, of stuff in the, in the first three years of his career. And excited to see if he can take 
the next step this year. But Gino Smith throwing him the ball, and it's going to be erratic. There are going to be those games, as we saw last season, where he has two catches for 14 yards, and I'm sure there are going to be games when he has 12 catches for 130 yards. It, I, I, I'm intrigued to see how it goes for DK and how he handles playing with a non-elite quarterback. Same with Tyler Lockett, you know, exceptional player, a, a great Seahawk, a player who, for me, is still somewhat underrated in the league. But they are your, probably your two best players on the roster and their fate in 2022 is going to be completely dictated by what happens with the quarterback and how well he plays. And if you are relying on Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf to produce with Geno Smith at, or Drew Locke at quarterback, it is going to be an insane mixed bag. And there are going to be games where they're just they're hamstrung by the quarterback. And then there's the old adage of, it's not an old adage, it's a more recent adage, that you are only as good as your third receiver. Well, look, look at what else they've got at receiver. They have D. Eskridge, who can't stay healthy. Marquis Goodwin, who's been injured for the last few weeks. Penny Hart, who is Penny Hart. And Derek Young, who's a late-round rookie. They don't have a, a really good number three. And I'm surprised, given that Geno Smith and Drew Locke were the two quarterbacks that were competing for this job, that they didn't go out and get somebody else. You know, there's been um, some talk of uh, of them going out and maybe making a move for the Jets receiver who's available, whose name has completely escaped me as I'm doing this video. You know, the guy they drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, Athletic Freak. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised they haven't been sort of having a look around at some of these other experienced receivers that have been on the market and getting them in or making a trade for a Jalen Rager or something like that, just to have another body in there who they can work on and try and develop. People are, are getting a bit carried away with the tight ends as well. Will Disley is a 230-yard tight end for the last two years. He has been healthy for two years now. He's played 31 games in the last two seasons, and he gets about 230 yards and a touchdown or two. That's what he is. He's a blocking tight end. He's not shown the ability to be anything more than a basic blocking tight end. Noah Fant's career has been massively underwhelming. He has to come to Seattle now and show that he's not going to be a bust. Colby Parkinson gets talked up a lot for his work in, in camps, and in practice, when he gets on the field in games and in preseason, doesn't do anything. Major question marks about that group and about Seattle's ability in the Pete Carroll era, era to make the most of their tight ends at all anyway. And then the offensive line. Look, I'm as optimistic as anybody that Abraham Lucas, who I love pre-draft, people who, who follow SeahawksDraftBlog.com and follow this channel will know that I had Abraham Lucas as a solid first-round pick. It was a steal in round three. What a pick by the Seahawks, smashed it out of the park. I, I was not the biggest Charles Cross fan, but I'm, I'm willing to see how he develops. There's a lot of potential there, but that's all it is right now. They might be really ugly this year. And if that happens, so what? You know, they're rookies. Rookie tackles are going to have growing pains. They are going to face some really good pass rushers this year with the opponents that they're facing. They are going to be put into difficult situations where teams are teeing off against them because they don't have an elite quarterback. And if Tim can take away the run and it gets to third and long, they're going to come after Geno Smith. So it's going to be really tough for the two tackles. You can't call them plus Pro Bowl or Pro type talents in 2022. Hopefully they become that, but they're not going to be that this year. And the rest of the offensive line, I've no idea why Gabe Jackson's still here. I wish they could sort of trade him for a bag of balls and save a bit of money there. Phil Haynes has shown some promise. I hope that continues. Damian Lewis, they've mocked him about, you know, from a really good rookie at right guard, shifted him over to the left where he didn't perform last year. I have no idea why they did that. I have no idea why they've stuck with that. They've turned what looked like a, you know, a really solid right guard for the next six to eight years into somebody who's a question mark moving forward. 
Um, Austin Blythe knows the scheme, but what are they going to get from him? The rest of it is, is, is not particularly impressive. So, you know, for me, if you could go and get a really good experienced guard and free agency next year, you, you go and do that. Ditto with the centres. So you, they need to build up that interior and hope that the tackles come up. But that is not... That is not elite potential on offense. If they had a quarterback, that is a that is an offense to me that is, is is like Swiss cheese. It's full of holes. You've got a couple of good players who are going to be dependent on the quarterback's play for success. You've got a couple of running backs with injury question marks. I think opponents are going to try and stop the run. They're just going to fill the box and and dare the Seahawks to win with Geno Smith. I don't think it's going to be as easy to run the ball as they found at the end of last year. My hope is that by the end of the year they can get it, things going and as they did in 2011, as they did at the end of last year. And the running game can show some signs of positivity. But as we know with the Seahawks for the last few years, they have started one way or another, whether it's the defence, whether it's the running game, it starts cold. So we'll see how that goes. But that it's an offensive, it's an offensive line with some potential because of the two tackles. You hope that the running backs can stay healthy and productive. You hope that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are not going to get frustrated and can still produce. There's not a lot other than that, really. It's it's I think familiarity with some of those names means that Seahawks fans overrate their own players and elevate them. Uh, if that was the the Arizona Cardinals offense and we were sort of previewing a game against the Cardinals, we'd be laughing our heads off and saying they should win this game. And, and that's where the, the reality where the Seahawks are. Then on the defense. Listen, I, I don't mind the defensive line that they've got. Miles Adams has, has shown some promise in preseason. Puna Ford's a solid player. Shelby Harris is a good football player and a leader. Quinton Jefferson's a perfectly adequate rotational defensive lineman. Al Woods had a great year last year. Brian Monet, solid, big-bodied rotational guy. But there's no difference makers there. There's no impact interior rusher that they've kind of never had. There's not that guy that when you are playing the Seahawks, you ask, it scares the crap out that you'd be playing this guy. They've just got a bunch of guys. Got some reasonable depth, got some options there. They've got some guys they like. But there's no difference maker amongst that group. In terms of the pass rushes outside, um, Daryl Taylor showed very, very well last year. But going from somebody who, hey, he's shown something to he's unstoppable, he's a blue chip pass rusher, that's a big step. That's what he's going to have to do this year. Is he a specialist pass rusher who can flash in certain games? Or is he somebody who can be like Frank Clark was in, in 2018, who was like 13 and a half sacks and is the kind of guy that that generates real concern for opponents and can beat offensive tackles regularly and create lots of pressure. That's what he's going to have to try and achieve this year. He's got to do it. I'm not going to assume that's going to happen. I just hope that it does. Boya Mafe is probably going to have some growing pains like the two tackles. You have got the potential for two frightening double-headed monster off the edge with Mafe and Taylor. But they've got to show that they can do that. You know, it's all good having promise. This year is about developing both of those two players so that in 12 months' time, we can legitimately say the Seahawks have got two really good edge rushers. But you've got to get there. It's not just about saying on paper, it looks like it's got a lot of potential. They've got to develop those guys. So right now, I think there's probably going to be some inconsistency. They are going to have some good moments. They're probably going to have some bad moments as well. And I also hope that Pete Carroll just gives them a chance to succeed, that he doesn't have them doing things like dropping into coverage again. I know that Clint Hurt said they're not going to do that, but... What happens if they struggle a bit early on? Is Pete going to get his hands on it and try and change things here? Are they going to... Uchenna and Wosu, to me, looks pretty unspectacular in pre-season. Are they going to have him taking reps instead of, you know, the the Maffeys, the Alton Robinson? Like, is Alton Robinson ever going to get a chance? 
Are they ever going to sort of practice what they preach with him and say, look, he's shown, he's flashed, we're going to give him more snaps, and then the next week he has less snaps than the week before. Are they going to give him a chance? Are they going to make the most of these edge rushes? I don't know. We will see. The linebacker depth, I, I don't really know. I, listen, I know what, I kind of get an idea what the plan is. Anybody who's sort of read what Sean Desai thinks about defence, and, and Clint Hur must be aligned with this, is that they're going to play a lot of three safety packages. There may only be one linebacker on the field a lot of the time. When they have two, they're going to use Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks. There is no depth behind them. None. There's nothing. If Jordan Brooks gets hurt and he has had injuries in his career, they could have a crisis on their hands. I cannot believe that they haven't gone and added somebody else just to provide a bit of veteran depth. I can't believe that they haven't. There's just nobody there. And they are a Brooks injury away from having very serious issues because I don't think Cody Barton, alongside whoever they're going to pull off the practice squad, is good enough. So I think that's been, a, it's been slightly neglectful there. And, and, and it's, it's running a real risk that Jordan Brooks in particular can stay healthy. And he's got a lot to prove as well. It's kind of been just anointed that he's great now um, because he had a whole bunch of tackles last year. But there's a reason why he and Wagner had so many tackles. And that's because the defence was paper thin and they just collected tackles. You know, there was, it wasn't because they were doing anything particularly well. It's because the defence was bad. So he's got, a, he's got stuff to prove here that he is the real deal. I don't, I don't assume that he is. And um, he, like I say, he's got something to prove. And then defensive backs in the secondary, a lot of the corners are injured right now. Um, Artie Burns has been hurt. Sidney Jones has got a concussion. John Reed's just gone on IR. They've had to bring back uh, Coleman because of all the injuries and, and issues that they've got there. It's concerning. You know, Mike Jackson has had a really good camp. Good for him. He should start. Tariq Warden's shown some promise. Kobe Bryant's shown some promise, but they're going to have growing pains. Can you trust them right off the bat? Not sure. Again, it's a position with some youth and some promise, but there's no blue chip talent there. There's nobody that you can rely to lock down a top receiver. When they play high-octane passing offences against top receivers, are the Seahawks going to struggle if they can't rush the passer? I mean, they're going to have to take some risks. I think they will. I think they're going to blitz a lot more. I think they are going to try and create, be creative in the types of pressure they create. They are going to be a bit more like Vic Fangio because that's the, the kind of defensive person on their coaching staff they've gone for. <clears throat> but if they can't create that pressure, I think that secondary might be exposed. And then at safety, Ryan Neal's been hurt. He's shown well. Decent player. Quandre Diggs. I like Quandre Diggs. I really like Quandre Diggs. Who doesn't like Quandre Diggs? But he is a bit overrated by Seahawks fans. He's just a solid safety. He's not a, 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 an Earl Thomas. He's not an elite difference maker. He is Seattle's best chance of turnovers because they don't have enough, they've not had enough of them over the years. But he's not somebody who's going to tilt the field. He's somebody who's going to do a good job at free safety without being a difference maker. And then with Jamal Adams, I just can't trust Jamal Adams. I just, I just can't. Can't trust him to stay healthy. Can't trust him to have an impact. Massively fearful that he his best days are behind him at LSU and in the first couple of years of his Jets career. To me, if there was an out, I think Seattle would have possibly taken it by now. That's probably coming down the road in a few months' time. It's a huge prove-it year for him to show that he's not on the wane. But I just think he is. And I, and I, listen, for me, you'd probably play Ryan Neal as your strong safety. 
and then use Jamal Adams as a, a death backer and just have him blitzing and just have him playing downfield because I just think that's it's what he is now. And you don't spend two first-round picks and a mid-round pick and give him $17 million a year for that, but that's, that's pretty much what he is. So again, concerns amongst the defensive backs. You know, people are here saying, ah, oh, they've got this player, they've got that player. Again, I think the familiarity with some of these names and the, oh, Adams and Diggs, what a safety tandem. Now, the reality is different. Oh, the Taylor and Maffe and Mwosu, they've got a lot to prove. You know, no interior pass rusher, thin at linebacker. It, it is what it is. And then on special teams, Michael Dixon is very good. Jason Myers has had one good year in his career, really, in 2020, when he was very consistent with field goals but missed a lot of extra points. Last year, not as good. Missed a kick already in pre-season. Can you rely on him? Don't know. Don't think so. And when they're going to play close to the best games like the Seahawks intend to this year, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to make his kicks. Wouldn't be surprised if he cost Seattle a game or two with missed kicks. And then the kick coverage in pre-season has been dreadful. And again, that's a concern because if you're going to play a percentages type game, you know, you've got to win on special teams and in the running game. And you've got to rush the passer. You know, that's how you prop up a, a Geno Smith type. Um, can Seattle do that? Not based on what we've seen in preseason. So that's the roster. I mean, for me, and again, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying it how it is. That's a roster that's going to get you a top six pick. Maybe even top three. And I'm completely comfortable with that. And I hope fans are as well. But here's the problem. If Seattle starts 1-5, I'll be like, okay, who are Kentucky playing this weekend? Who's Will Levis playing? Who are Miami playing? What's Miami looking like under the new coaches come from Oregon? And, and is he making Van Dyke as boring as Justin Herbert looked at Oregon? You know, what's, what's Bryce Young doing? What's CJ Stroud doing? As the Florida quarterback developed now, he's playing more than 60-odd snaps. You know, these, these are the questions I'm going to be asking. Are the fans who are now saying this roster's better than you think, Rob, or I think this is an elite potential to be an elite offense and an elite defense, and they've got this guy and they've got that guy, how are they going to react if it goes badly at the start of the season? Are they going to then start going a bit, getting a bit carried away, going over the top, calling for heads? You know, that's the thing. I've got perspective on this year. I know what it is. It's about short-term pain for long-term gain. Being positioning yourself to get your answer at quarterback next year, to pick high in every single round so you can get your guys so that when we sit in here in 12 months' time and I'm reviewing a 53-man roster, there are six, seven better players who are on the, on the roster that aren't there now and we're starting to feel positive about the future. That's where this team needs to be. That's the priority for now. And I am completely comfortable with that. But you've got to get there. And right now, this roster to me doesn't look adequate. And the other thing I'm going to say is... You know, there's a lot of comparison. What, what is this team like? Is it like 2011, for example? And it's easy to make that comparison because the quarterback situation is very similar. They were more talented in 2011. They've got sort of the, the LLB had been drafted or signed by that point. You've got Marshawn Lynch, who just... People, you can never underestimate how much Marshawn Lynch, with his personality and his attitude and his playing style, just lifted that team and combined it with Cam Chancellor. They brought everything together. You don't have that now. You do not have a heart and soul player like Marshawn or Cam Chancellor combining to create this pissed off for greatness attitude. And that was it. And it just, it, it, it went, 
it was viral. It went through the team. You know, Sherman was pissed off for greatness. Earl Thomas was pissed off for greatness. You've got Cam and Marshawn leading this thing. And then you threw people like Breno Giacomini into it as well. And you had this group that were just angry and, and desperate to prove themselves. I do not get that vibe about this group. Who is that heart and soul player? And look, somebody will put in the comment section, oh, this guy, Quandre Diggs could be that guy. I'm sorry, or DK. They're not. And that's no diss on them either. Marshawn Lynch was one of a kind. Cam Chancellor, one of a kind. You will never find guys like that, let alone combine them together to create this just incredible attitude that just went right through the core of the team. You know, the grit, that determination. I don't think there's been a grittier, more determined group, probably certainly in my lifetime following the NFL, possibly ever, just because of what they brought to the table. And that's what paved the way for greatness. You don't have that now. And neither do you kind of have that 2010, we're all we've got, we're all we need kind of mentality either. It's just not there. And you can't replicate, you can't force it. I'm no doubt someone will, will chant that before a game because it's become like a, just something that every team has done in Seattle since 2010. I don't think it's there right now. I don't think that that kind of mentality exists. And, and I don't think they're going to do, I don't think it's going to be easily created. I don't think you can, you can possibly create it at all. You've probably just got to draft, you've got to create something different. It's got to be new. It's got to be unique to this group. Can't just force what was happening 12 years ago on this team. And when you draft your quarterback next year, you've got to be prepared that whoever that guy is, is going to influence the style of this team more than anything. You know, you do not, short of cloning Marshawn and making him 21 years old again, you, you're not going to be able to do that. And you don't have a cam. So it, it has to be new. It has to be different. I don't think they've got that attitude. So I think this team is probably better than 2010 because they've got a few, and look, in 2010, they still had Earl. They still had Russell O'Coom. They still had Marshawn. They had Cam Chancellor. They had, you know, one or two others. They had Matt Hasselbeck, who was still a very experienced quarterback. You know, they had some talent. They'd already had one good draft, one good off-season, two first-round picks. So I still think this team is better than 2010, but I don't think it's as good as 2011. I think it's somewhere in between. The 2010 team won seven games, 2011 won seven games. 2010 won seven games because they won four games against the NFC West, and they won an extra game against the 2-14 Carolina Panthers, who finished off with the number one overall pick. You haven't got that luxury this time. You have got some winnable games, the Jets, the Falcons... Uh, who am I missing here? The, the Lions, they play the Lions. There are about four games like that, you would say, are winnable. But I wouldn't assume that Seahawks are going to win all those games either. I do think they've got a better chance than people are giving them credit for against Denver, just because it's in Seattle, it's, it's week one, it's, it's Russell coming back, and, and those are the kind of games where magic can happen. But I think there are a lot of games coming up in the NFC West, some of their opponents where they could get blown away. So I think it's probably going to be somewhere between 2010 and, and 2011, and I'm comfortable with that. Are you comfortable with that? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. And, and even if you want to be positive about this roster and tell me I'm wrong, I don't think I am, but if you, if you want to tell me I'm wrong and say this is a better roster than I'm giving credit for, all I would say is prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for what I'm suggesting here because I think this could be a five-win team and that will be difficult to watch. It will be even harder to watch if they're getting blown out and it'll be harder to watch with Geno Smith at quarterback. It really will. There's even... Even if you've got a young guy, it just gives you that little bit of hope at quarterback. It's interesting to watch him develop. It's going to be Geno Smith. It's going to be Geno Smith. So we'll see how it goes. Those are my thoughts. Please do feel free to share yours in the comments section.
just have perspective because the be all and end all for this year is to set yourself up for the 2023 draft. Head over to sealsdraftblog.com. I've just done a big article breaking down the non quarterbacks who are eligible for 2023, talking about the guys to keep an eye on, people like Brian Brissett, Clemson, obviously Will Anderson. The Texas running back is an unbelievable player. He's going to be graded higher than a lot of the quarterbacks and some of these offensive linemen that are getting touted about. There's a lot of overrated players already for the, for the 2023 draft. Go and check that out. I've also linked to the big quarterback review. People have been saying, hey, Rob, what do you think of this quarterback? I've already done a huge review of who I think is worth paying attention to in college football. I've already ranked the quarterbacks who I think are worth keeping on as well. So go and check that out. That is seahawksdraftblog.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. We are going to be doing so many videos this year. The best analysis of the Seahawks and the 2023 draft. It's a huge draft. I think this is the biggest draft season in franchise history, given that the Wilson trade has happened this year and there's so many connotations moving forward. So you will not want to miss any of these videos. Like the video as well. Help get the message out there. Spread the word. Tell people, tell your friends to, to come in and subscribe, get involved. Until next time. We'll see you then. Bye for now.